0: This is part two of a two-part episode. If you're hearing this and didn't listen to Creep It Real's episode on the DeFeo murders, stop what you're doing and listen to that first.
1: That's Creep It Real. Oozing walls, demonic pigs, and somewhere between a yacht and a speedboat sits 112 Ocean Avenue where the Lutz family would endure 28 days of hell, or so they would claim.
0: Trying to keep my breath noises out of it,
1: I know that's the one thing. I, well, I when I'm not talking, I'm always like over oh, weird, because I hate when I'm like, Yeah, f- f- <laughs> worst. I feel like a fucking pig, <laughs> <I'm> just like <laughs> waiting for the trough line.
0: Uh, hello and welcome to another episode of the Bumble Butt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week? I do because it's a fucking special mm-hmm. collaboration episode, God damn right, it is with Creep It Real, right? They covered part one. The DeFeo murder.
2: Mm, they did a
0: beautiful <laughs> job. I said I said
2: murder <laughs> singularly, but there was S multiples. <laughs> he did throw that in there at the end, in case you didn't hear the
1: mm-hmm. zzz. Six murders or five? Six or five, definitely.
2: <laughs> I listened
0: to the episode this morning, yeah, and it very was good. Uh, wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. It was
0: wunderbar.
1: They have set the bar to almost an unreachable point, mm-hmm. but we're going to try. I don't know if we'll be able to do it, but we'll try. My name is
0: Adam. Sitting across from me, as ever, is Jordan
1: hello adam hey how was your week (laughs) pretty good did you kill
2: yes
0: did you become mason god
2: oh no
0: did you become young mason god (laughs) kind of all right he's done it uh do you have anything exciting to tell me before we uh before i skip right over you
2: uh i mean kind of go keep an eye on my friends band like i'm friends with all of them intrinsic from the twin cities uh they're working on a full-length album right now, and earlier today I went and helped record some gang vocals on that. Was it?
0: The, is it going to be their first album, or is this a? Uh, it's
2: their first full-length. Okay. They have they have two EPs out. Okay. So you can find that shit on Spotify and whatnot. But this is a concept album, so you know story the entire way through it. Say the name again. Intrinsic. Intrinsic <laughs>
1: sounds hard to spell.
2: No, the- it doesn't. It's very I N T R I S I C. Nope, that's intrinsic. (laughs) I-N-T-R-I-N-S-I-C. There you go, baby. But also, yeah, uh, you two at least know of the lead singer, used to work with us all when we all worked together, so.
0: Okay.
2: Old Dallas. Yes, Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't work there anymore.
2: Yeah.
0: He had the exact same car as my (laughs) little brother, Mm -hmm. and I uh, got really scared when (laughs) I waved at my little brother one day and honked at him. And it was a, a very giant black man, and not <laughs> blackface. <laughs> but that's a that's a fun little coinky dink, isn't it? Oh yeah, I think. Sitting across from me as ever is Cody. Hello, how are you, buddy? I am
1: doing good. Are you? I'm fantastic. Are you sure? Yeah. All right, I'm great. that's good, dude. How was work this week? Uh-huh. Awful as always, but last night I heard my favorite quote ever. I think. Is it Motorcycles in the Wind by J.K. Rowling? <laughs> Close. No, it was, um, <laughs> if you think I'm tired today, just wait till tomorrow. <laughs> Have you ever heard that before? No. We'll probably talk about it on Bumbles, but, uh, I decided to watch The Room last night, and I was, uh, I was dying. It's the old grandma, that's her line. And I was like, this doesn't make any What's sense at all. If you think I'm tired today, just wait till tomorrow. Oh, fuck. How do you know how tired you're going to be tomorrow? Fucking Claudette, Because she has breast cancer. <laughs> oh. Don't you remember? I I don't remember. I don't kept laughing so hard, I probably missed it. It's, I definitely have breast cancer. And then it's never brought up again. <laughs> no. Favorite part of the movie, and I literally sat and rewound it, was uh, where they're playing football in the alley. Yeah. The guy, Mark, comes up. No 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 before that. Mark okay. Mark walks up and he the one guy just hands him the football and he like falls over like he's super hurt. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Acting. It's like he smashed his ribs by handing him all handing him the football. I don't know. It was a good time. It was fun. It was fantastic.
0: Now you should watch the uh James Franco. Have you watched it? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, good. it's good. It's oh, good. the
1: disaster artist. Mm-hmm. You motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, you know, they're bad actors, but uh, what's his name? He, Tommy Wiseau. He yeah. It starts off with like a softcore porn, which I guess oh, is yeah, fine. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, I mean, except where he's fucking her belly button.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the sex scenes are very awkward. Extremely <laughs> fucking awkward. Like it made me uncomfortable watching it.
2: See, it doesn't make me uncomfortable because that's just how my sex life is. <laughs> anytime someone's nice enough to let me do those things, it's real
0: awkward. Maybe maybe it would happen more if you didn't talk about it so weirdly.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know how
2: else to talk about it without know, creaming people out.
1: Tommy, took what am I supposed moves.
2: to say, Adam? Fucking, Bond you know, anytime up. some chick lets me slam it in her and mix Hell up yeah. her guts. Oh
0: yeah, Jesus. Okay, that's I wouldn't go about it that way. Either. <laughs> I'm not good at this.
1: (sighs) Well, anyway, fellas, are we ready to jump in this motherfucker? Let's get into the part two of the two-parter collabo. Mm -hmm. Bitter-patter, let's get at her. So, obviously, everyone should have listened to part one, hearing all about the DeFeo murders. Creeper real. Yep, and if you haven't, turn this off right now and listen to that. Right. Now, what we're going to do is basically the adventure of the Lutz family and the apparent extreme hauntings that they experienced while after they purchased the house. So Creeper Reel did mention a little bit of a backstory of the area. Um, I have a few more things. Um, they mentioned John Ketchum. He was supposedly a man who fled from Salem, Massachusetts, and then he came to this location and was performing devil worship and everything. Sure. But anybody who knows the Salem witch trials know not a single person was actually practicing witchcraft. No. They were just little kids telling people to hang people and it was yep. just so the John Catchum things probably horse shit. He- of course. Okay. <laughs> so Oh wait, wait, wait.
0: Open mind, open mind. Let's... Yep. Keep yeah, it keep it on, on, Adam. Adam.
1: We're getting we're getting real spooky today, okay? So keep it open. (laughs) Three
2: spooky five me. I'm terrified.
1: Now something that is confirmed is the area was before white people came was inhabited by the Shinnecock Indians. (laughs) (laughs) I kept thinking about this. Okay, obviously we know natives. They would name... Wasn't that the big thing? They would name it after something that they saw? Yeah. So was there a man with a giant cock hanging off his shin, and then they just kind of named their tribe after him? Or, oh.
2: or they saw some dude with a really shiny cock. <laughs> yes, but they have the native accent.
1: Oh, okay. Shiny cock. <laughs>
0: yeah, there shin cock.
1: But anyway, where the house is located, that big strip, what they claim is they deemed this area as like an unholy, demonic grounds it sounded like they would take people there to die hmm. but they wouldn't bury anybody there because it was too unholy and you get trapped in fucking purgatory or something
0: was this a did they do it to people they liked or their
1: enemies or what uh, the information is pretty like thin on it. It kind of sounded like they might have taken the elderly there to kind of die, but so the I couldn't. Um, like, there you go, yeah. grandpa. See how long you survive. In it, the or elements. maybe it was enemies. Anyway, they regarded this land as like, we're devil's dance or something. I don't know. It was dope. not, it was an evil ground. That's Sounds like where I want to visit. Mm-hmm. So you guys all know the, the infamous uh, house, what it looks like, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what people, a lot of people don't know was there was actually a different house that was originally built on that property. And then they picked it up and moved it, like, down the street, and then they rebuilt this home on that land. So this home is not originally the home that was on there. Don't Okay. They suspect they just did that because they needed a bigger house, and it was cheaper to move the old one and build a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Old-time shit, I guess. Fuck it.
0: I mean, I, saw, I got uh, held up by a goddamn house driving down
1: the road the other day. It is oh. annoying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on the highway.
1: Yeah, where they take up, like, three lanes. It's bogus, man. Just get rid of it.
0: Throw it off the
1: river. <laughs> was it a trailer or was it a house house?
0: Oh, it was a big house. Yeah, was it? Like
1: a real house. Mm, okay.
2: Maybe
0: not a big house. Maybe it just looked big because it was on
1: not where
2: it should be. <laughs> yeah, it was moving down the highway.
1: <laughs> it's all about perspective. All right. All right, let's go. 13 months after the murders committed by Ronald DeFeo Jr., George and Kathy Lutz would purchase the murder house on December eighteenth, 1976, Accompanying them were their three children, Daniel, age 9, Christopher, age 7, and Melissa, age 5. Melissa will be referred to as Missy throughout the story. Dope. The three children were Kathy's from a previous marriage, but they still appeared to treat George as their father. And they also had a Labrador-mixed named Harry. I just want to say right now,
2: bringing up the dog, I have a bad feeling about this. Harry
1: Harry's a protector, man. Let's not doubt him yet. All I'm right. Do He's a lab. Uh also I should mention they were just they've been married less than a year when they move in this house as well. Okay. So it's kind of weird that they call him dad, but okay. I guess it's the 70s. I'm not going to judge Tea parties and <laughs> shit. I don't know. <laughs> The soon to be famous Amityville home was located on 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, New York. This home was a 5 bedroom, 3.5 bathroom, 4000 square foot house, fully equipped with a boathouse which was perfect because George, he owned two boats. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. He had Okay, does is like the big boats technically have to be a yacht? Like if it's like a, you know what I'm talking about, Jordan? Like not a speedboat, but like a step up from yeah. that. Is it a sailboat yeah, thing? I don't know. Not if quite that... a sail. I think it's between a speedboat and a yacht, somewhere in there. It's right. a nice boat. Okay. It was an expensive so it's expensive. It's probably got
2: like the cabin that goes underneath mm. and stuff. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's like a nice day tripper kind of oh, thing. Yeah. This is
1: a boss ass boat. I could live on it. So anyway, the Lutz would purchase it for the much reduced price of eighty thousand dollars, and for just an additional four hundred dollars, they could keep all the furniture. That was left over from the DeFeo family. That's a pretty good deal, actually. you're losing actually.
2: money if you don't buy that furniture. That's I, cheap.
1: No, I'm I don't want it. <laughs> I'm assuming the blood-soaked mattresses probably aren't there, but like the, the sofas and See, stuff, that's if fine. If those aren't All there, included, I'm not <laughs> buying it.
0: <laughs> All included or nothing, baby.
1: The, uh, you know how uh, Creeper Real mentioned the family photos that were like on yeah, the side? The they not portraits. Didn't, they didn't mention if they got to keep those or not. That'd be pretty cool if I they did. I want the portraits. <laughs> yeah. I oh, want yeah. the portraits.
2: <laughs> You're like that's not your family. Yeah, but uh they're a handsome bunch. Hell yes.
1: <laughs> so obviously the house was cheap because of the murders that happened there. Pretty self explanatory. Eighty K. Yeah. Well actually it was how did they explain it? It was forty K with the rest in escrow or something, so it was actually cheaper than what you'd Dope. expect. Yeah. yeah. Now, by all accounts the Lutz were your typical seventies family. George was twenty eight and Kathy was thirty years old. George was the owner of a land surveying company called William H. Perry. I hate this already. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Look at how successful George
1: is. He ain't that successful.
0: I'm 28. He's got a land surveying company.
1: I can't remember how it was his. I think it was his grandfather's company, and he kind of inherited it. He still owns it. I wish yeah, I trying a grandpa with a company. I've still, you know, when you see construction workers like standing on the side of the road with that weird tripod, I've still yet to figure out what they're I actually don't doing. Know what that is? I, I think that's I surveying. Think,
2: yeah, they're like getting distances like to like a millimeter or whatever, and also like elevation changes and
1: stuff like that. It sounds boring as shit to me, but yeah. anyway.
0: I know I watched him do it all the time on uh, Hell on Wheels, but uh, I, I don't know if they were doing the exact same thing.
1: <laughs> so prior to purchasing the home, the Lutzes claimed to have looked at over 50 homes before they decided that 112 Ocean Avenue was just calling to them.
2: Did they settle on it because it's on Ocean Avenue and they're big yellow card fans?
1: <laughs> I'm guessing so. <laughs> what the fuck? He's <laughs> the only one who knows these fucking don't bands. Don't bring up yellow card with the <laughs> fiddle. Yeah, Didn't they have a fiddle?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Their, like, breakthrough album was called Ocean Avenue. All right. That's <laughs> crazy that you know that.
1: Actually, we're going to— I fucking love Yellow cards. I'm going to be mentioning something here that I think is going to bring up more hipster music. Now, prior to moving in, George claimed that DeFeos had a large sign in the yard that read, High Hopes. Now, High Ooh. Hopes is like the—I've seen that in so many hipster songs. Uh, Maroon 5, I think, has one. That one band that I went and seen with Amy First that I don't off, remember the name. can't call Maroon right.
2: 5 hipster. They're I, one of, like, <laughs> the biggest pop acts in the
1: world. That's kind of true. Yeah. That's okay. the opposite of hipster. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody starts at a hipster at one point or That's another. That's true. So. Yeah. And then they sell out. <laughs> now, George claims about a month prior to the murders, the DeFeos had went to Canada to purchase an assortment of statues depicting the Holy Family. They would be sprawled out upon the front of the home. He believes that they knew there was something evil in the home and they needed the statues for holy protection. Fair. Makes now, sense. this was about a month prior to the murders. I don't know why they had to go to Canada to get them, but whatever. Because the people of Canada are pure, <laughs> unlike us, us heathen Americans. <laughs> yeah. Now, the Lutz family would only last 28 days in the home before fleeing the house with nothing but the clothing on their back. They claimed the house was so evil and haunted, they just could not endure it any longer. So what exactly happened to the Lutz that would cause them to just abandon everything? Now, the following events are taken from accounts written in the book, The Amityville Horror, A True Story by Jay Anson. Mm. Now, Jay would claim to have received about 45 hours worth of testimony from the Lutzes and would simply put it in book form. Now, I'm going to say this. I actually took the time to read this book. Um, a lot of the books we read are, you know, true crime and all that shit, and it's really kind of stale sometimes. This book is awesome. Is if this the like salty go- one? No, no, no. No. No, we're going to talk about him all later. Right. This is like the the Lutz family adventure, I guess, in the home, if you want to call it. Hell yeah. It's basically the, the book, and then the movies came, so... <laughs> okay. We're going to... F- we're going to go through day by day, basically, through this entire book about their entire venture with the poltergeist or demon or whatever the fuck it is. Hell yeah. And then we'll go into other stuff later. Oh, this is some hated-ass shit. Buddy. <laughs> Upon first moving in, the Lutzes would have Father Frank Mancuso come do a blessing on their newly found abode. Now, Father Mancuso claims that even before arriving at the Lutz's home, he was getting strange feeling, mm. <laughs> strange feelings about even entering the house. Mm-hmm. There's no altar boys <laughs> in there. <laughs> Father Mancuso arrives around one thirty p.m. and within his first flick of holy water, a horribly disembodied voice screams, "Get out!" <laughs> Father finishes his blessing, but the horror would not be over for him. Later that evening, while driving from his mother's home, his Chevy Vega is mysteriously forced to the side of the highway, (laughs) and out of nowhere, his hood flew open and smashed the windshield. Something does not like Father. No. The first night, December 18th, the activity started almost immediately. George was awoken at 3.15 a.m. to the sounds of knocking and tapping. He had gotten up And looked out the window and thought he noticed a shadow moving around the boathouse. So he went outside to investigate. There's a shadow in the
0: (laughs)
2: boathouse.
1: Oh, actually, I didn't put it in here, but Harry, he noticed Harry was was very anxious at something near the boathouse. So Harry's a good guy, right, Jordan? Yeah. Harry's a good (laughs) dog. So he went outside to investigate, but did not find anything except the boathouse door was wide open. George had swore he had locked it. Someone's trying to steal my goddamn boats. Between December 18th to the 21st, the atmosphere of the once-happy Lutz family already began to change for no apparent reason. George began to feel a bit of despair about the situation he had gotten himself into. Jay Anson describes George thinking this, A second marriage with three children, a new home with a big mortgage. (laughs) The taxes
2: in Amityville were three times higher than in Deer Park. Did he really need that new speedboat? (laughs) How the hell was he going to pay for all this? The construction business was lousy on Long Island. If they aren't building houses and buying the property, who the hell needs a land surveyor? Hell yeah. All
0: right. Well, that answers my question. He is not a successful businessman. Yeah.
1: Times are tough in uh, Long Island, brother. Now, this quote is important because it shows a man going from being happy about his new home to feeling doubt and depression setting in. George's mood was progressively becoming more negative. He stopped shaving, he quit showering, he began to yell at the children constantly and began to gripe about the constant lack of heat. Now this
2: <laughs> this he, is a dip- just sounds like a crotchety old man. <laughs> He's a real he cr- might like a heat. hermit.
1: Yeah. I I want to know your guys' opinion because I I wrote this down, too. So when he was fighting with the children, on this day in particular... He wasn't
0: fighting with the children. Oh, he was beating the children, probably. That
1: This is exactly what he said. He took okay. a giant wooden spoon, and okay. he beat all three of the kids. <laughs> and it's literally like, oh, the next day the kids weren't sitting right because they were beat so hard for the night before. I'm like, So
2: Adrian Peterson <laughs> he said, pick your switch, we, boy. We got
1: to remember, this is the 70s, so I guess beating your children... Beating children is going to come up later in here as yeah. well, so... Don't...
0: Try not to, though. Really don't beat your kids
2: at all. No, 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 Unless they deserve it. Yep. But even then, don't beat them. Don't beat them.
1: Now, regarding George constantly complaining about being cold, he would constantly check the heating system, but it was working perfectly fine, or at least the thermostat always claimed it was. George was constantly having to throw logs into the fireplace in an attempt to warm up. Now, the book really narrows in on how obsessed he becomes with trying to get warm. Fire. Right, basically. Wow. Now, Ed Warren, I, <laughs> I was Your watching. I was, we're going to talk about him and her later on, but there's a few quotes from him. Now he calls what Ed, what George is experiencing, psychic cold. Okay. okay, that's what he called. He called it Psychic okay. Cold. So what this is, he said, basically the apparitions are stealing all his body heat. That's why he can't get warm. Oh. But I've never heard it been called Psychic Cold before. It sounds like some sort of Pokemon move. <laughs> <No>. Psychic Cold. <laughs> oh, Ed. On December 22nd, George and Kathy discovered hundreds of flies clinging inside the window of the sewing room, Hill Beelzebub. Hell, yeah. So George opens the windows, shoots them outside, and kills the rest. This is particularly odd because flies should not be around in the middle of winter. Mm. What's going on, guys? I'll tell
0: you what's going on. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> All those
2: fires he's starting is heating up the house, and
1: all the flies are hatching. <laughs> and he's got rotting meat everywhere, so there's Does maggots. He? I don't, I don't think there's any rotting meat. Now I think Adam will be able to answer this next one. On the same day, the children informed Kathy there was something odd in the bathroom.
0: Oh yeah, I've got, I've got good on this one.
1: <laughs> the sink and toilet were covered in black stains and had a pungent smell of perfume. Of course, initially she blamed the children for the mess but she couldn't explain how they would have done it. (laughs) Yeah. Kathy attempts to clean it with bleach, and it does lighten up a little, but it is not completely gone. December 23rd, George awakens at 3.15 a.m., which he has done every single night up to this point, mind you. Exactly 3.15? That's what he claims. Wow. Now, 3.15 is important because this was a supposed time that Ronald DeFeo had shot his entire family. Additionally, around 3 a.m., it is known as the witching hour, or as Ed Warren says, the devil's hour, Mm -hmm. because threes are a mockery to the Holy Trinity, and some believe this was the time that Jesus was actually crucified at 3 in the morning. Take take from it what you will. Sure, man. (laughs) Yeah. Sure, man. Anyway... On this particular night, George makes his way downstairs and is shocked by what he discovers. George says,
2: 250-pound wooden front door wretched
1: wide open, <laughs> hanging on a hinge. The door appeared as if someone had pried it from the inside of the house. Oof. Later... When a locksmith repaired the door, he discovered the doorknob and brass lock plate were twisted and bent from the inside. Oh, wow. uh, you can't do that if you're just a normal Hairy. dude. Very. <laughs> Around the same time, Kathy began to hear her daughter Missy humming a strange tune and asked her mother if angels could talk. (laughs) (laughs) After this, Kathy hears thuds coming from the third floor, so she rushes upstairs to discover the boys fighting. So she slaps them both across the face. Kathy claims her sons have never fought like this before. Can you attest to this, Adam? Brothers don't fight.
0: Yeah, you're right. Never, they never get in full-on fucking fist fights. Throw light bulbs at each other.
1: The same day of the 23rd, Father Mancuso is not having a good time either. He claims to have came down with a fever of 103 to 104 degrees, and he is claiming to see, be seeing visions of evil from within the Lutz sewing room. Man, that's just
0: that's just fever hallucinations. No, it's not-
1: visions of evil. <laughs> You know what, I've, I swear I've heard other people who've had, like, super high temperatures, they always see, like, shadow people.
0: My mom saw shadows of monkeys. <laughs> she was, like, laying in her bed yelling about monkeys when she had, like, a 105 fever.
1: Your brain's boiling up yeah. there, that's why you're seeing shit. Anyway, the following day, father figured he better give the Lutzes a call. Once on the phone with George, father said, I have to talk to you about something that's been on my mind. <laughs> Do you know
0: the room on your second floor that faces the boathouse? The one where you had all the unopened
2: boxes and
1: cartons? George replies, Sure, father. That's going to be
2: Kathy's (laughs) sewing meditation room when I get a chance to fix it up. (laughs) Hey, you know what we found in daddy the other day? (laughs) (laughs) Flies! (laughs) Hundreds of house flies! Can you imagine? In the middle of winter? George,
0: I don't want you... Oh, Kathy, all the children go back into that room. You have to stay out of there.
1: Why, <laughs> Father? What's up, dear? Before Father could answer him, the phone began to turn to static. This would be a reoccurring theme like something did not want Father to warn the Lutzes. Oh, like oh, the demons got to control of the phone. <laughs> they're fucking... They're, I hate this. Later that night, George discovers the flies are once again in the sewing room. No. But this time, the window is wide open. And on top of that, the boathouse door is wide open, even though he was certain he had locked it. They're the fuck
2: out of my <laughs> boathouse!
1: They want his fucking speedboats, bro. I don't blame them. <laughs> on December 25th, George once again is... Christmas! Aw- <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, George. <laughs> <laughs> he is once again awoken at 3.15 a.m. And he has to comfort his wife, Kathy, because she ha- she is having a terrible nightmare about Louise DeFeo's murder... Afterwards, George goes out to the boathouse like he has felt compelled to do around 3.15 every night. This is a big thing, too. Every time he wakes up, he goes out to the boathouse. He's really obsessed with it.
0: What's he trying to do? Something
1: He's trying to act like something is pulling him out there. Like something wants him to go out there. And we're going to see why something wanted him to go out there this time. All right. George recalls this night was a full moon. And once outside, he turns and begins to notice something a bit ominous in the window. That window is in fact Missy's window and she was just sitting there staring at him but that wasn't all. Right behind her was the face of a pig with glaring red eyes staring right back at him. George rushes inside to help Missy but when he opens the door Missy is completely asleep in her bed but... The rocking chair in her room is moving back and forth. That's spooky, ain't it? Grandma Piggy was sitting there. (laughs) Oh, shit. All right, we're going to go for another quote about Ed Warren here. So Ed claims that George was a Marine, which is true, Mm -hmm. that he constantly, he was like a karate master. (laughs) Say it right, karate. And he used to run with biker <laughs> gangs. <laughs> so, so what Ed says is, when George would like get spooked by the ghost, he would try to fight him. He uh-huh. wouldn't be afraid of him. So uh-huh. it's very weird for a tough man like him to be afraid of ghosts. Hell Dude, yeah, Ed is the baddest motherfucker <laughs> on Long Island. No, it's not Ed. It's George. George- saying George, this sorry. about it. George is a badass karate bike gang marine, fucking badass. That's beautiful. <laughs> So, later that day, Missy would tell her brothers and Kathy that the pig, in fact, had a name. Grandma pig? <laughs> that pig's name was Jody. <laughs> oh, Jody no. the pig. Oh, no. Kathy again mentions how her sons are not behaving like she remembers, as well, because they are now back-talking her whenever she asks them to do something. Mm. Very strange for young boys, isn't yeah, that? Yeah, that's fucking weird. <laughs> Now, December twenty-sixth is an important day for George and Kathy because it's Kathy's brother Jimmy's wedding. George finds himself suffering from severe pains in his stomach and has came down with an intense diarrhea. Hell yeah! This is in the book. I swear to God. Mm-hmm. He claims to have shit ten times already that day, but we do have some good news. He had at least finally taken a shower and shaved for the first time in several days. Hey, <laughs> listen,
2: if you're taking ten diarrhea shits, you need to shower after that.
0: His ass is nothing but but crumbles of dirty toilet paper for the most part. You know what? And I
2: probably a little bit of blood.
1: <laughs>
0: Definitely blood.
1: I, I I when I was reading this, I'm like, why do you even have to put that you took ten dumps in one day in this book? Well, I was hoping keep... it
0: impresses someone. I had to <laughs> yes. keep track when I got my colonoscopy.
1: Were you possessed?
0: No. I just (laughs) thought I had a bowel disease. But it turns out I was fine.
1: (laughs) Well the ghosts are getting his insides and making him poop a bunch, apparently. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're just treating his intestines like a piping bag. (laughs) Now Jimmy meets them at their home later that night with fifteen hundred dollars on him to pay for the wedding services. Jimmy had only been there a few minutes while George and Kathy were still getting ready. When he notices, his $1,500 had disappeared into thin air and was nowhere to be found. (laughs) Later, George would give him the funds he needed to cover the wedding expenses, even though the Lutzes were in financial strain themselves. Now, another funny part of the book here. They say they they hone in on the fact that George and Kathy haven't made love since they moved in on moved into the house. Sure. And this night after the wedding, maybe they had a few beers in them or whatever. They finally make love. Kathy's love super happy. Air, yeah. But she also mentions that she has a dream about Louise DeFeo making love to some stranger. And when Kathy wakes up, she's like super rejuvenated. There's rumors that Louise DeFeo was having an affair on her husband. So, she thinks she was, I don't know, invoking her? Or, I don't know. It's very strange. Listen, either way, she got all horned up.
2: It's... Does she ever try to
0: blame the affair on demonic possession?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Well, they were dead before they came out, so. <laughs> all right. Anyway, I don't know why she brought that She had a lady wet dream, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. On December 20... <laughs> 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 On December 27th, while in the basement... George notices that one of the wooden panels is loose When he removes it He discovers a room that is painted all red With a single bulb This would become become known as the red room It is especially weird Because it is not included in the home's blueprints Kathy asks George
0: Did you notice the funny smell in there?
2: Yeah I smelled it
1: That's how blood smells (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like How much blood have you been smelling dude Come on Afterwards, George turns the light off, and upon walking away, he noticed a face within the shadow of the Red Room that he claimed that looked like Ronald DeFeo's face in there. Mm. Later on, they would uh, go to speculate Mm. that this room, they they would go down there to sacrifice animals. That's why the room was back there. Okay. That's, that's the, legend, the legend. The legend. That's yes. why it's red. So when you spill blood everywhere, it just blends in with the paint, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Except
0: I think it dries like maroon or something, <laughs> so I don't
1: know. Uh, mind you, these rumors came from a bartender that tells George later okay. in the story. Yeah. So we can trust bartenders, I guess. I don't God know. Goddamn right. <laughs> now, on December 28th, Father Mancuso had actually contacted the police when he couldn't reach the Lutzes. Remember, the phone wouldn't let him call him? Right. Yeah. Demon phone. Right. Now, Sergeant Al Gianfrido would sit down with Father and tell him all about the DeFeo family murders. Within their conversation, Gianfrido mentions that Ronald DeFeo would regularly hang out at Henry's Bar. Right. The book calls it the Witch's Brew Bar, oh. but their the real name is Henry's Bar. Why did they change it to
0: protect the innocent?
1: Uh, he assumed because Witch's Brew sounds a little spookier. <laughs>
0: all right. I got gotcha. you. Add a little salt <laughs> Got to get and those sales, it. boy. I feel ya.
1: Now, why this is important to the story is because Jean Friedo claims that while on patrol, he started to notice George began to hang out at Henry's bar and that he began to resemble Ronald DeFeo, almost as if something is possessing George to behave the same way Ronald did. That's what they're implying. The Shining. Basically, yes. Anyway... Back with the Lutzes, Kathy had purchased George a four-foot ceramic lion for Christmas. That's kind of a cool Christmas present, right? Yep,
0: I guess, man.
1: (laughs) I'll take it. And they would sit in the living room. At first, Kathy was certain it had moved a few inches. When George entered the room, he had tripped over the lion somehow and fell upon his stack of wooden logs. (laughs) Initially, he believed he must have just twisted his ankle. But when Kathy examined his ankle, there were clear bite marks. (laughs) The ceramic. So
0: this was day three, and he already tripped over his brand new ceramic lion. Uh,
1: Day ten. Day ten. Oh, day ten of owning the lion. That they've lived in there. Oh yeah, day three of owning the lion. Day ten of the house. The lion doesn't like him, I guess. Yeah, it
0: reached out and (laughs) grabbed his foot or whatever. (laughs) Took a
1: nibble out of him. Now back with Father Mancuso, the evil force just wouldn't leave him alone. Having been screamed at by an evil force, having his car's windshield smash, contracting the flu that gave him a high temperature, if that was not bad enough, he now begins to receive stigmata marks on his hands. Shit. Clearly something is tormenting the poor pr- mm. priest. Now, I should mention too, it's not bleeding, it's just red marks on his palms, so okay. he, he wears white gloves to hide it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jumping to New Year's Eve, George and Kathy are enjoying a nice evening by the fireplace when all of a sudden they notice a demonic, horned, and hooded fi- figure's face burned into the bricks. <sighs> Upon a closer look at the face, it appears as if it had been half-blown away, George said, As if hit with a shotgun blast at close range. ears. <laughs> you know I had to. You had to. Anyway, they're hinting that it was like the DeFeo shot their head off. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it
0: left a horn.
1: <clears throat> and piece. this was like the demon's face in there, okay. I guess. I don't know. This is
0: lame, kind of. <laughs> but if it's true, then it's cool.
1: It's, we're amping up. This is like the, the appetizer. We're, it's going to get hotter uh, and hotter and hotter. We're about to get to the entree.
0: <laughs> I just mean these phenomena <laughs> are lame.
1: If you've seen a half-blown-off demon face in your fireplace, I think you'd be shitting your pants. I'd
0: be pretty shit in my pants, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> The following day, January 1st, George and Kathy would Happy ca- New Year. <laughs> George and Kathy would catch a glimpse of the beady red eyes right outside their living room window. So they run outside and notice footprints in the snow. But these are not normal footprints. These are left by cloven hooves,
2: like those of an enormous pig.
0: <laughs> Jody the pig is back. Yeah, Mother, hate- you, my mother's a saint. Okay, (laughs) so Jody is her name, and it is not this pig. Did you ever
1: ask her if she was named after a demonic pig? I didn't, but I will (laughs) when I get home, or when I go see her. When they followed the footprints, they came upon the garage door, and it had been torn off its hinges. (laughs) Why is this pig smashing it? (laughs) To cap off the night, while attempting to sleep, Kathy begins to feel hands from some unknown force holding her down in bed. Wow. Ooh, this is that role-play <laughs> fetish she's always wanted. George, stop it. <laughs> Around the same time, Father Mancuso is still being tormented. After Father had given a mass, he was returning to his apartment, and when he entered, there was a horrid smell of human excrement filling the room. He would begin to burn incest. <laughs> incense. Jordan would like that. He began to burn incense to combat the horrid smell, but it still would not go away. Jumping to January third, George goes to the Amityville Police Department to have someone come look at the footprints. That, mind you, are still in the snow after a couple days. The cloven, the cloven hooves. Okay. Yes. Cops gonna get to the bottom of it. Rad. A detective, Sergeant Pat Camaroto then accompanies George to the house. He takes notice of the cloven footprints, and then George shows him the mysterious red room. The book claims that Camerotto leaves the house with a creepy feeling and felt strong vibrations.
0: And I hope the police department charged them for that call, <laughs> because that's Fucking stupid. Yes.
1: Well, he thought someone broke into his house and destroyed his garage he door. He thought
0: a pig man with cloven <laughs> hoofs broke into his house and destroyed his You're garage gonna door.
1: You're going to be sad when a pig breaks into your house. Sir. I know
0: I will. <laughs> Especially if it has the same name as my dear mother.
1: <laughs> George said after the police officer had left, he returned to the red room and began to smell hu- human excrement, much like father. <laughs> <laughs> he claimed it was so bad it caused him to throw up all over their floor. On January 4th, George would move the large ceramic lion into the sewing room, only to discover it would move itself back into the living room. Wow. (laughs) It just needs another taste of that sweet, sweet ankle. (laughs) Then later that night, while in bed, he is awoken to the sounds of a marching band playing on the first floor. So he rushes downstairs, only to discover nothing is there. Shocking. He claimed it sounded like at least 50 people were playing instruments, While standing there alone, he felt like someone was breathing on the back of his neck. So is that that how
2: demons lure you downstairs? (laughs) You're just in your bedroom and all of a sudden you hear and then you come down and you're like, Hey the and m- then they whisper sweet nothings so, in so ear. So I
1: take it you two have never woken to marching bands playing downstairs. I uh, you know it's Un- my,
0: it's on my bucket list. I know.
1: Unfortunately I haven't. <laughs> I'm gonna say yet, because I'm not ruling it out. And George isn't done though. He then returns to his bedroom only to discover that his wife Kathy is floating two feet above the bed and Heading towards the window, Shit. but but he manages to stop her from going out. That same day, Father felt he needed to do something to help the Lutzes, but refused to return to the house. So instead, he dedicated a mass to the Lutzes, hoping that if the entire congregation prayed for them together, it would conquer the evil.
2: <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> flashbacks of Annalise Michelle right now.
1: While it didn't help the Lutzes, father's red marks on his hands disappeared, and better better yet, the smell of shit disappeared from his room. On January 5th, George would once again be awoken by the marching band noise. (laughs) He once again rushes downstairs, but nobody is there. He yells, You sons of bitches, where are you? (laughs) This time he notices,
2: Every piece of furniture had been moved. The rug had been rolled
1: back. Damn. At least they were, I guess, conscious of like not breaking his shit while they're playing their yeah. bands down there, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they were working on their formations, and uh, they moved everything
2: out of the way. Yep. <laughs> Didn't want to dirty up the rug. It's a big fucking house, so
0: it is. Oh, this is a monster fucking house. 3.5 bathrooms. I keep thinking about that. That's <laughs> four toilets
1: and three showers, boys. Yep. It's, they got a big fan. Five people. It's beautiful. Mm. We There was six of us in the house and two toilets. <laughs> On January 6th, George would return to the basement to see if he could locate the horrid smell that had made him sick the day previously. But, much to his surprise, the smell had disappeared. While searching the basement, he discovers a mysterious well with a concrete cover underneath the basement stairs. Damn. So George contacts someone he knows who is a medium... Oddly enough, she brings up the mysterious well that is in the basement, and she will come over at a later date to see what exactly is going on in the house. That night, George is awoken at 2 a.m. and notices that Kathy is once again levitating in her sleep. Swiftly, George grabs her by the hair and pulls her back into the bed. Anywhere else would be fine. He said it's all he had. Okay. (laughs) Much like football players, you just grab that bitch. Sure, it's legal. (laughs) When he turns the lights on, he's shocked because it is not Kathy sitting there, but what looked like a 90 year old toothless hag. (laughs) Of course, he asked for a blowjob. No, anyway. (laughs) Perfect. It's not going to hurt this time. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, Kathy wakes up and runs to the mirror to look for herself, but she had returned to normal. Hell yeah. On January 7th, Francine the medium comes over to take a tour of the house. After thoroughly walking through the entire house, she believes perhaps the house was built upon burial grounds or that someone was murdered in the house and may still be buried here. The basement and the sewing rooms are the most active areas. Now they kind of point out that somehow she didn't hear about the DeFeo murders. Oh, I don't know how. Uh, I don't they're trying to like hint that yeah. she didn't know. Unless she's from, like,
2: the other side of the country and recently moved there. It doesn't
1: sound like it. No, if you're a medium, guess what?
0: You know this shit. You you jack off over this shit. (laughs) Yeah.
1: On January 8th, a new phenomenon would begin. It was mid-afternoon when George heard Kathy yell from the third floor. He notices Kathy and three children are looking at a green gelatinous goo running down from the wall. That's the
2: (laughs) weirdest uh,
1: cum shot I've ever seen. (laughs) Kathy says... Which one of you did this?
0: Tell me or I'll break every bone in your
1: bodies. (laughs) George replies,
2: Wait a minute, honey. Maybe the kids didn't do it. Let me take a look. (laughs)
1: George then sticks his finger in the goo, smells it, and then tastes it.
2: It sure looks like
1: jello. But it don't taste like it at all. Oh my God. <laughs> I think our boy
2: Quotiel <clears throat> paid him a visit.
1: <laughs> well, okay, if you've seen a weird substance running down your wall, why would you taste it? Uh, I'd never do that. That could be fucking fungus or some shit. What are you doing, George? Uh. <laughs> George then assumes it has to be an evil substance. It remembers everything father has told him. George and the kids then gather buckets, collecting all of the mysterious goo, and proceed to dump it into the river behind the house. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, guys. It's a fun family activity. Come on. Thanks,
0: guys. We gotta go dump the goo in the river.
1: (laughs) After this, George decides the best course of action would be to try to perform his own exorcism within the house. So he grabs his trusty crucifix and begins walking from room to room yelling, Get out! Get out in the name of God! (laughs) Making sure to go within the evil sewing room and basement. Get out in the
2: name of God!
1: (laughs) He finally cleanses the whole house and believes this is enough to drive out the evil within. On January 10th, it seems perhaps George had just pissed off the spirits even more. (laughs) That night, a storm began and Danny... The son was going to close a bedroom window, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the window slams down on his fingers. Oof, I thought he was about to go Eric clapping. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Ugh. They claim his fingers are flattened from the cuticle to the second knuckle. <laughs> Damn. Ouch. George promptly rushes his son to the hospital, and they bandage his hands. They really point out that like his bone, somehow just that bone is f- like flattened, but nothing else is damaged. I don't know how that's even possible, but whatever. Unless mom and dad hit it with (laughs) a hammer or something. I guess she did break his bones in
2: the end. you were responsible for the goo, you little bastard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They returned home and everyone made their way to bed. George would be awoken with the feeling of rain hitting his face and he soon discovers every window in the house is wide open. They would spend January 11th cleaning all of the water that had gotten all over their home. The evening of January 11th, George is awoken by a horrendous nightmare in which he sees himself being torn into and yells out,
2: I'm coming unglued!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now while he is awake, he hears Missy yelling out for him to come meet Jody. When George enters the room, he notices those beady eyes in the window again. Then his wife, Kathy, enters, and she notices the eyes as well. Now angered, Kathy picks up the chair and throws it out the window, causing it to smash. (laughs) (laughs) They they claim once the window is shattered, they could hear the screams of an injured pig as it squeals and runs away. Later, Jody. (laughs) (laughs) Ree, (laughs) ree. I... (laughs) On January twelfth, George fixes some of the broken windows and nails some of the others completely shut. Kathy is pleading for her family to leave the house, and soon she will get her wish. At three fifteen in the morning, dun, dun, dun. at again. 3 in the morning of January thirteenth, George is awoken once again by the sounds of the marching band, but he isn't getting up to check this time. Since everyone is afraid, the entire family was sleeping together in th- his bed, but none of the others seemed to wake up from the sounds of the band. Only George.
2: It was probably "Flight of the Bumblebee" that they were playing. <laughs> There's parts of that that's real soothing. Oh yeah, you can you can drift.
1: <laughs> George soon falls back asleep, but is once again awoken by Kathy yelling. She tells George he is speaking a two different, indiscernible languages, is almost implying that he was speaking in tongues. Later that afternoon, George is finally able to get a hold of father. Then father pleads with them to get out of that damn house. And they finally agree. The family begins to load up in the van, preparing to head to Kathy's mother's house. But the damn van won't start. Mm. <laughs> George pops a hood, but Sue notices a severe storm has began, forcing them to endure another night. This time when they returned into the house the power was out and the phone was not working if that wasn't bad enough the thermostat kept going up and up until it reached 90 degrees george would go check the oil burner but it wasn't even on when he made his way back upstairs that night the green goo was oozing out of the sewing room door and slowly creeping down the staircase why was george so concerned with the heat wasn't he always it was trying hot. to hot it's too hot
0: He's the biggest bitch. He's been trying to throw <laughs> yeah. logs in the fire all... But he's
1: worried about his family. They're too hot. 90 degrees in January is way too hot, dude. It is hot. Yeah. <laughs> so he wiped up the green goo, but for the most part, just attempted to go to sleep and wait out the storm. Around 10 p.m., the temperature switched from 90 degrees to 60 degrees very rapidly. So George would make his way down to the basement and grab logs to start a fire before returning to bed. Around 1 a.m., he found that Kathy was beginning to walk in her sleep, but he managed to get her back into bed. Then, his trusty dog, Harry, began to get sick and threw up all over the floor. Mm. That better be all that happens to (laughs) Harry. (laughs) Then, all of a sudden, George begins to hear scraping on the floor above him. The beds are sliding across the floor. Then, the dresser drawers are opening and closing. Mm. George begins to hear voices, and that damn marching band is playing downstairs and slowly (laughs) slowly making their way upstairs as George can hear them approaching. Mind you, George claims he is completely paralyzed in his bed.
2: Oh, God, the French horns
1: are coming. (laughs) The weird thing is, nobody seems to be hearing it besides George, including Harry. When all of a sudden a large crash of lightning lets out a large boom, this is when George notices that sitting upon his stomach... Is Jody the demonic pig?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just perched up on his belly there? What's up,
1: bro? She's slowly creeping on his belly. Oh, The author said this next. George
2: must have passed out from fright, because the next thing he remembers was the sight of Danny and Chris standing beside the bed.
1: Danny and Chris tell George there's a faceless monster in their room. George can finally move now and rushes down the hall when he notices a gigantic figure in white. Standing on the stairs. It is roughly 7 a.m. at this point, And the Lutz family decided to once again try to escape. And thankfully, the van starts this time.
2: Yay! And they are
1: off. Yay! Now, the book ends with them getting, I believe, a hotel room. But uh, they claim that night George and Kathy begin floating in the hotel room. And the walls are covered in the green gelatinous goo. Yada, yada, yada. So it follows them. Yeah, it follows them. They can't just leave the house. It's following them. Mm.
2: Now, are they sure they didn't just get, like, a huge order of guacamole and the kids (laughs) splashed it on the wall?
1: (laughs) That is very plausible. (laughs) What if George Six is figuring, and he's like, hmm, I wish I had some tortilla chips for this.
0: (laughs) Maybe a little salt.
1: (laughs) When the story of the Lutz family's nightmarish 28 days in the house finally came out, it would begin a sensational story that would sweep the nation and cause the author of the book the Amityville Horror Conspiracy, Dr. Stephen Kaplan, to become one of the saltiest people I've ever heard yeah, of. Yes, guy. <laughs> never being able to let his bitterness with the Lutzes go, but he certainly did shed light on what is most certainly a fantastical paranormal case that is complete bullshit. Mm. On February 15, 1976, Dr. Kaplan would receive a phone call from the largest newspaper in Long Island called Newsday. They were requesting his personal advice on the Amityville haunting, and at first he told them that he could not give them his honest opinion until he had done a full investigation himself. This is a small excerpt from the article.
0: Stephen Kaplan, head of the Parapsychology Institute of America, an occult research organization in Setauket who does believe in ghosts and hopes to investigate the house, warned that amateur ghost hunters should not mix into these things (laughs) because they don't know how to handle a hostile spirit. (laughs) Those butting in could be adversely affected, perhaps transferring the apparition from the DeFeo house to their own. (laughs) Let the exorcist work in exorcism and keep the neophyte out.
1: I was kind of amazed that you can become a doctor in, like, paranormal studies. I don't know if you actually yeah, get, like, a piece of paper for that. I think I
2: but. found my uh, career trajectory. Isn't
0: uh, shitting, uh the guy from Ghostbusters that in real life now? He could be. I don't know. Okay. Couldn't
1: but tell you. This book mentions, like, Duke University has a... Big study on like occult shit and stuff, and there's like a bunch of other universities, like well-known ones, that you can go there and study this shit. It's kind of cool. All
2: right, I'll have to find one of the other ones because there's no <laughs> way I'm going to Duke. <laughs>
1: well, you should be happy Duke. they lost you, little oh, asshole. Oh, I am.
2: I'm still salty over 2015.
1: Ooh. <laughs> All right. The following day, he receives a call from George Lutz. He claimed that he had read his article in the paper and would like for him to come and inv- investigate the property. George said. I'm afraid. Really afraid. We've called the Psychical
2: Research Foundation in Durham, North Carolina, and the American Society for Psychical (laughs) Research in Manhattan to investigate, too. We've got to find out what's happening in that house.
1: (laughs) Kaplan begins to inquire just what has happened to him in the house. George claims he just cannot simply explain the psychotic... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Psychic phenomenon, but there are certainly demons in there. <laughs> he even knows their names, Kaplan asks. What are their names? George tells him he cannot say them out loud because it will summon them. Who told you that? I've read it in a book.
0: <laughs>
1: Kaplan asks for the title of the book. George claims he simply cannot remember because ever since he had moved into the house, he had been reading books on demonology witchcraft satanism ghosts and psychic phenomena george said i took a crash course in the occult i guess you could
2: say (laughs) i wanted to understand what was happening to me up until this happened kathy and i knew nothing about the occult at all (laughs) i don't think i had ever read i don't think i had ever even read one book on the subject
1: (laughs) kaplan keeps pressing him about these demons but george isn't telling him much then a man named Ray Buckland comes into the conversation. Now, Ray Buckland is a prominent witch who runs the <laughs> Witchcraft Museum in Bayshore. Kaplan, in fact, knows who Ray is, and George asks, Oh, you've heard of Ray Buckland? Sure,
0: I know Ray. We had some interesting conversations about witchcraft when he ran the museum.
1: <laughs> Kaplan thinks it's a little weird George is going around studying the, studying the occult so deeply. <laughs> yeah. Finally, Kaplan asked George to just give him the times when the phenomena is the most active, George said. The demons come out between (laughs) 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. Weaved within the conversation, the topic of the DeFeo murders comes up and George says, Oh, we all knew about Ronnie, but it didn't
2: bother us that we were buying the house where his family was killed. We liked the house and and we're not superstitious about things (laughs) like that.
1: Dr. Kaplan remembers wondering how it was weird he kept referring to him as Ronnie. Usually those nicknames are saved for people, you know, personally. Mm. After chatting for a bit longer, Kaplan asks if he would meet him at the house. George replies, I'm not going back to that house. I just can't face it again. (laughs) Not yet. Kaplan then recalls that he had read the Lutz were supposedly supposed to be skiing in Vermont. George said, Oh, that was just a cover. We didn't want to be inundated with phone calls. <laughs> Actually,
2: we're staying with relatives in Nassau County until. <laughs> and we don't want the publicity. Perfect.
1: <laughs> he informs George that he needs to sign a letter of authorization to allow them to investigate the house. He agrees and said, How much will this investigation cost me? Like most paranormal groups, they do not charge a service fee. Hmm. So George and Dr. Kaplan agree to meet at zum zum's restaurant and sign the papers on friday february 20th and do their investigation february 21st before he hangs up the phone dr kaplan tells him that if this in- is in fact a hoax he will not hesitate to expose him Hell. Hell yeah. they all agree and dr kaplan starts to assemble his team of investigators their plan was to run two shifts throughout the night 9 p.m to 6 30 a.m Now, on February 17th, Kaplan was reading through the newest Newsday, which he seems to do a lot of, and noticed the headline, DeFeo House Legal Twist. (laughs) Apparently, the Lutzes are doing a press conference at the offices of William Weber.
0: Wait a second. Weren't they supposed to be skiing in Vermont as a sub, as a cover story to avoid the media? Exactly. Yeah. And
1: now they're doing a press run? Mm-hmm. All right. Now, William Weber is important because he was Ronald DeFeo's defense attorney. This is a quote from William Weber, and he said,
0: Based on certain facts related to us by the new owners, George and Kathleen Lutz, and certain physical evidence brought to our attention. We are considering a motion for
1: a new trial. oh this is either a huge coincidence or perhaps the Lutz and DeFeo's were working together. Plus, Kaplan thought the Lutz didn't want any TV or er, didn't want any publicity, which is very weird like yeah. Adam said. Oh yeah. The following day Kaplan did an interview for the Long Island Press, basically stating that he would be investigating the house soon, but did not give an exact date and certainly would not tell them beforehand whether he believed the house was actually haunted or not. Very smart. Jumping to February 18th, Kaplan receives a call from George Lutz, who seems rather annoyed. George said, You told the press you would be investigating? I told you
2: we didn't want any publicity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, George, but you failed to tell me about the press conference you held on that very same day. I didn't feel I was giving away any secrets, and in case you didn't notice, I took special care not to mention the date. (laughs) Since you are not going to be there... I have some apprehension that people may misunderstand when they see a large group of people entering a vacant house. The police may think we are intruders attempting to break in. We are merely covering all bases by making it public knowledge that we will be investigating at some unspecified date.
2: Well, I told you we (laughs) didn't want any publicity, and you told the press anyway. I'm going to have to postpone your investigation for at least a couple of weeks.
0: George, how much are we charging you for this investigation?
2: (laughs) Why... Nothing.
0: That's right. We're not charging you a single penny, George. And we do have other cases to investigate. Yours is not the only one. So it doesn't really matter to me whether we investigate your home or not. We are a public service organization. We do not ambulance chase or ghost chase. (laughs) You came to us for our help. We are quite willing to spend our time and money to help if you are sincere. But we must always reserve the right to tell the public the true results of our investigations.
2: Well, I guess you're right. But we're really tired of this whole thing. We only gave that press conference to clear up the exaggerated rumors about our story. I think I'll wait until the publicity has died down before having you investigate. Cancel your plans for this weekend, and I'll see you in
1: about two weeks.
0: Fine, George. Our egos will still be intact whether you call or not. We'll be here if you need us.
1: This is where the uh the assault begins here. So they wish each other farewell, and Kaplan calls off his investigation. So what's the next logical thing for Dr. Kaplan to do? Release an article in the Long Island Press the following day titled, Ghost Hunter Smells a hoax. (laughs) Hell (laughs) yeah. The article basically says Kaplan believes the Lutzes are full of shit, and even moreover, he thinks the entire thing could have been set up by Ronald DeFeo to get a new trial. What? (laughs) The whole thing? Think about it. What he's saying is why would they do a press conference from Ronald DeFeo's lawyer's office? Yeah. Oh okay. and then the lawyer was like, Hey, uh, things came to light. We're gonna try to get a new trial here.
0: Okay, see, I thought you were uh I thought you were saying like they were patsies for DeFeo's defense this whole time, the Lutzes.
1: Well that's what Kaplan is suspecting. He's saying yeah. the whole time? They made up the whole haunting story to try to prove that because remember ronald said that demons made him do it or whatever True. Yeah. so they he's suspecting that they set up this whole thing on behalf of ronald DeFeo to release him from jail or get him mm-hmm. in mental and uh, mental institution or whatever
0: that's crazy
1: that's a big conspiracy but All that's it right. kind there's a lot of coincidences here yeah, you know what i'm yeah. saying now moving forward to february 24th Dr. Kaplan was watching the Channel 5 local news base out of Manhattan when an interesting event was announced, it said. And don't forget to tune
0: in tonight, folks. Our 10 o'clock news will be <laughs> taking you on a tour of the famous haunted house
1: in Amityville. Don't miss it. They will be performing a live seance on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Get fucked, Kaplan. I tried so fucking hard to find this. It, it it must be too old. Nobody has, like, a tape of it on YouTube or anything.
0: I feel so bad for Dr. Kaplan.
1: That, I mean, he just wanted to be professional about it. And yeah. He George, wanted to do a real weren't...
0: investigation. Yeah. Right,
1: right. The crew that would be involved included Lorraine Warren, a self-proclaimed clairvoyant, her husband, Ed Warren, a self-described <laughs> demonologist, psychic mary pascarella and alberta riley george kakoris jerry solfin and martin scott of the psychical research foundation in durham north carolina and a camera crew mind you the psychical research foundation was a well-respected organization within the paranormal community that was ran out of duke college yeah they probably cheat at everything (laughs) wow It seems that these three members decided to go a bit rogue under the organization's title. Of course, Dr. Kaplan and his fellow investigators gathered some popcorn and watched this event together. A few highlights from it included, The three women began to moan all about the negative forces they sensed when they entered the house. When Mary Pascala reached the room that the DeFeos had met their fate, she clutched her throat and rolled her eyes in the back of her head, claiming that that an evil black shadow was enveloping her. Lorraine Warren stated that an evil force was a demon.
2: Demonic. Nothing human. From the bowels of the earth.
1: Mrs. Riley just gasped with her eyes tightly closed while in a trance. Ed Warren said that the house harbored a demonic spirit which could only be removed by an exorcist. <laughs> Apparently, it was pretty funny watching this whole thing. I
0: bet. These fucking fraudsters <laughs> just shilling around the I, place. I was
1: watching a little interview with Ed and Lorraine afterwards, and he's like, he claims one of them were so scared they had to quit uh, paranormal research. They we're, gave it up. They gave it up. Uh, wow. With The chair shot across the room, and I think one of the the... Uh, camera crew started to have severe heart uh, palpitations. Wow, hmm.
0: Wasn't uh, Warren, uh, I mean, those two are frauds, right? Like, everybody uh, knows pretty that. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's my opinion, that they just would go to, they might go to haunted locations, not this, obviously, but they go to some and then just kind of try to make money off of them. All right. After seeing this, Dr. Kaplan would basically put all his efforts into proving that the Amityville hunting was nothing more than a giant hoax. So on February 28th, Kaplan decided to take a look at the infamous Amityville house for himself. When he reached the house, he noticed the giant no trespassing sign issued by the local police, but there were countless cars driving around and parking near the property. After witnessing a live seance on TV, of course, people are going to be very curious about it. And what's a sign going (laughs) to do? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Kaplan claimed while there, he would speak to a local boy, asking if he had witnessed anything from the Lutzes while they were living there. First of all, the boy had lived in the neighborhood long enough to know the DeFeos, and in regards to the Lutzes, he claimed when he would pass by the window, it appeared to him that they had never even bothered to unpack anything. Hmm. Next, Kaplan got the idea to speak with the infamous Sergeant Cameroto, who they claim had visited the property. Perhaps they could at least validate that part of the story. So Kaplan entered the police station and spoke to the officer at the desk requesting Cameroto. He asked the officer about George Lutz. The officer said, Oh, sure.
0: I remember the guy. (laughs) He came in here one day to turn in a handgun. Strange character. (laughs) Kaplan said, George Lutz turned over a gun to the police. For what purpose? Well, he came in here one evening shortly after they had moved in, put the gun on my desk, and asked us to hold on to it for him. When we asked him why, he said that he had an impulse to shoot his wife and kids. I thought, this guy must be some kind of fucking loony. And he just stood there telling us how the strange forces and vibrations in his house were telling him to kill. We asked him if he had a permit for the gun, and he said yes. He was an ex-Marine, and that's why he had the gun. We agreed to keep it for him. Then the next day, he comes back asking for his gun. He did have a permit, and since he hadn't committed any crime, we gave it right back to
1: him. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I feel like if someone comes in saying they have impulses to kill their family, it's, uh... Just keep it, you know? <laughs> yeah, don't give it to them. <laughs> Just keep the gun. Yeah. I mean, they don't mention that part in the book at all, mind you. Wow. <laughs> After about ten minutes, Camarado comes to meet with them. Kaplan hands him his business card. Camerado says... Dr. Stephen Kaplan.
2: Yes, I remember the name. You're the one who's calling the case a hoax, right? Perhaps you can help me straighten out this whole thing. <laughs>
1: Basically, throughout their entire conversation, Cameron informs them that he had never actually stepped foot on the property and now is being harassed constantly about false reports <laughs> being published <laughs> about him. After this, Kaplan continues to inform people that he believes the entire Amityville horror is nothing more than a hoax. What a beast! Giving lectures, appearing on TV, and publishing articles in newspapers. On April 10th, 1976, for some reason, Dr. Kaplan claims he gets the urge to try to visit the home once again. Uh Uh-oh, he's going loony. (laughs) When he approaches the house, he notices a man he does not recognize there. It is in fact an auctioneer who is helping the Lutzes sell their home. So Kaplan acts like he is an associate of George's to gain access finally inside the home. (laughs) (laughs) He walks all around not feeling anything negative and even asks the auctioneer if he had experienced anything while he had been there. The man simply tells him he feels like this is a very inviting and warm house and does not feel any sort of vibrations. And at this point, Kaplan learns that George is working on publishing a book. Of course, the
0: auctioneer, he's getting a cut. He's not going to be like, "Yeah, yeah, man, this thing's haunted as fuck.
1: You can always trust an auctioneer. Yeah, definitely. Now, although we cannot go through every article the Lutz had published, keep in mind that up until the books release, there were several published articles detailing the apparent paranormal claims. And if you read them side by side, they slowly become more and more fanatical all the way up until the grand finale, which is the book, The Amityville Horror, The True Story by Jay Anson, which is what I was referring to throughout the beginning of the show. Gotcha. Now, of course, being that Dr. Kaplan may have been a bit bitter when the book got announced, he would call the company demanding a copy be sent to him prior to the release, and surprisingly, surprisingly, they did just that. The famous book would finally be published on September 13th, 1977. Never forget. <laughs> Kaplan made it his duty to contact Jay Anson and inform him that his book was full of lies and bullshit. He told them that he should remove the claim of it being a true story from the cover. <laughs> now, Jay would just tell him that all he had done was taken the confession tapes from the Lutzes and publish them in his book. But I'm fairly certain he added his own bullshit on top of, of their course. bullshit. Yeah.
0: Of course.
1: Not longer after his conversation with Jay Anson, Kaplan tries to confirm if Father Mancuso as part of the story had any validity. Now, there are two conflicting reports one claimed that Father had assisted the Lutzes prior to moving in, and another claim that a priest came over when they moved out and did a little blessing or whatever. Now, Father Mancuso was not actually involved at all. What? The pastor's name that was actually involved was Father Ralph Pecoraro. What? He is, yeah. Father Mancuso's not He's real? He's just made up. But I had a great voice for him, so that <laughs> you makes did. me a little mad.
2: You sounded like Professor Snake. There was
1: another. I'm assuming Irish father here, maybe Italian.
2: That's definitely. They're both Italian
1: names, (laughs) like as fuck.
2: Like I don't know how you would think they're Irish at all. No, it doesn't start with an O or a Mick. Pecoraro, the strong.
0: Oh, it's a Pecoraro from
1: (laughs) from Ireland.
2: Aye, the uh, the Pecoraro clan. <laughs> we know the McGregors and the O'Shaughnessys.
1: <laughs> no, Pecoraro, he, uh, they knew the Lutzes because he had married George and Kathy previously. Okay. So that's how they knew him. Gotcha. On September 23rd, 1977, Dr. Kaplan decided to go on the Joel Martin Show and do battle with the Warrens on TV. Oh.
2: Hell yeah.
1: Discrediting them on TV would certainly help his case. Now, Lorraine is swearing up and down that the Amityville whore is true. She had even validated it with a priest. Of course, Kaplan informs her that he had spoken to the priest and they told him nothing happened. (laughs) Lorraine said, Are you saying that a priest would lie? (laughs) Kaplan replied, No, I'm merely
0: stating that he was not a witness to the phenomena. Are you attacking a judge of the Catholic
1: Church? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. This enraged Ed, and he would join his wife's assault on Dr. Kaplan. Ed decided he would just turn his back to Kaplan and ask the host,
2: Look, Joel, this man is an extremely (laughs) vindictive individual who is trying to get back at George Lutz because he wasn't allowed into the house to conduct his investigation. (laughs) Joel asks, Is this true,
1: Dr. Kaplan?
0: It most certainly is not. Mr. Lutz was the one who called me to ask for help. When he cancelled, it meant nothing more to my organization than saving the time and money it would have cost us to investigate.
2: Lorraine replies, That's not what George claims. George says
1: that Kaplan called the (laughs) Lutzes and begged to be allowed in to investigate. Joel tells her, Mrs. Warren, please force yourself to address your opponent as Dr. Kaplan, or at least... Mr. Kaplan, I realize that you are angry, but calling him Kaplan is not really right, especially since he refers to you as Miss Warren. Kaplan says,
0: Lorraine's statement that George never called me is not
1: true. <laughs> the trio continue to bicker about the claims in the book, and when the subject of Kathy's levitation comes up, Ed speaks up and says, You call yourself a
2: parapsychologist <laughs> and you've never heard of levitation? <laughs>
0: I do not say that I've never heard of levitation, but merely that I had never seen anyone with the ability to levitate (laughs) two feet in the air.
2: Have you ever seen a 350-pound refrigerator (laughs) levitate two feet off the ground?
0: No, Ed. I can't say that I have. Have you?
2: I most certainly have. (laughs) My wife and I both saw it floating dirt on one of our haunted house cases.
1: Uh. Oh, Ed. That might be the best voice you've ever done, Jeremy. just throwing that out there. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> so, the rest of the show was a lot of the same, debating about the haunting. Dr. Kaplan's final statement concluded that he believed that George Lutz was in financial trouble and thought up the whole entire story of the haunting because it could make him a quite a bit of money. Sure. Moreover, the Lutzes themselves are the only people on the planet who had ever witnessed any sort of paranormal activity happening within the house. Mm-hmm. Now I think it's safe to assume at this point that more than likely the Amityville horror and the Lutz story is nothing more than a fantastical story. But to be honest, it's very fun in my opinion. Oh hey, yeah, oh yeah, man! <laughs> like the it's like I it's,
2: completely believe
1: everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the book is really fun to read, even though it's a crock of shit.
0: But I mean, hey, man, psychos, <laughs> psychos, man,
1: smart psychos, maybe they all want to turn it they all want to turn a dollar. <laughs> Now, we're going to finish off the story with the family who had purchased the home from the Lutzes, Barbara and Jim Cromarty. Now, the Cromartys would purchase and move into the home sometime in April 1977. They were actually relatives of Louise DeFeo, and in their minds, they wanted to honor Louise by taking care of the home. All right. Now, the trespassers were so bad that Cromartys actually changed the address of the home from 112 Ocean Avenue. We don't know what they changed it to. But it didn't completely detract people because, to be honest, the house sticks out like a sore thumb with the ever-famous devil windows. Everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Now, the Cromarties never once felt anything negative ever happen in the home, nor had any sort of paranormal activity. In fact, they were putting quite a bit of money into refinishing the home, and it actually turned out pretty nice. Yeah? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was them, but someone eventually changed those creepy windows on the third floor to, like, just regular windows, <laughs> making it harder to spot it. Now, on March 28th, 1978, Jim and Barbara Camardi would allow Dr. Kaplan to do a mini-investigation. It basically consisted of Dr. Kaplan, his assistants, and a psychic. They were there for several hours, and biggest surprise, nothing ever happened. No noise, no nothing. Hmm the Cromarties actually let them in on a few little secrets. First of all, the windows operated on a very old weight and pulley system and would occasionally pull themselves open or shut themselves at certain times. Secondly, the red eyes. Well, that was actually the neighbor's cat named Evan Rude. What?
0: After the battery or what? After the boat motor? the
1: boat motor. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Now, Evan Rude would constantly climb up on the windowsills and at certain points in the night, her eyes would appear red. That's what they claim they think the red eyes were. Okay. I don't know why they threw a chair at the poor cat, but yeah. whatever. Yeah. Why is it squealing?
0: <laughs> but that explains the old pulley thing. It explains old boy's crushed little digits, mm. yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. it?
1: Now, something else they point on here is, so Dr. Kaplan received a hardcover book, a uh, copy of the book. And when the paperback uh, book version came out, there was a few changes. They changed his father's car, changed from a Chevy Vega to an uh, old tan Ford. Now, why do you think they did this?
2: I don't know. To discredit him.
1: No, because people found out a Chevy Vega's hood doesn't open this way. It opens this way. So the <laughs> windshield couldn't even switch oh. that way. <laughs> now, there were so many lawsuits going on. Like, the cop was suing him, The Cromarties were suing him. There's, like, suing everywhere. So they changed the police officer's name from Camerato to Zamoroto. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're really, we you're go really... from the start of the alphabet to the end it's, no one will ever
1: get it it's just like now if you want to know about the sacrificial red room all of that room was there is so they could uh, access the internal piping in the house That's okay. the only reason that was there
0: that was like the heart of the plumbing mm-hmm. or whatever
1: right now the uh the mysterious green jello when the lutz's first told the story it was red and some reason it turned green eventually I don't know. Ed Warren said that- um, I
2: think they heard about Quetgil.
1: <laughs> could I it think be? so. Ed Warren said that it was a psychic- uh, What those things are is you'll see blood coming down the wall, right? And when you touch it, nothing will be on your hand because it's a psychic image coming from your mind's eye, projecting that on there. That's what he claims it is. Cool. It's just from your- I his, hate Ed Warren. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway, a few last notes. Uh, In 1979, the Amityville movie was released, the original one. That's quick. In 2005, the Ryan Reynolds remake was released. Ah, yeah. George and Kathy divorced in 1988. R.I.P. Not quite yet, Jordan. To their marriage. (laughs) May 10th, 2006, George passes away. Rest in pepperoni. (laughs) August 17th, 2004, Kathy passes away. R.I.P. in peace. Now, um, the final thing is their son, Daniel, released a documentary called My Amityville Horror, and he is basically blaming George's occult practices for the haunting in the house.
0: And the summoning of the... Yeah, he,
1: he brought all of that in there because he was studying the occult. But... Okay,
0: so this prick is still going on. With yeah, it's a the troop. other two
1: kids uh, deny it. He's staying on board that the hauntings were all real, so... Maybe right, there's a little exactly. cash. Ching-ching. Maybe there's a little
0: cash in it.
1: Yeah, guys, and uh, that basically concludes the entire story of the the haunting that took place afterwards. Well, haunting, let's air quote, haunting. I'll
0: I'll give that a hard air quote. (laughs) Yeah. I'll give that a zero out of ten out of (laughs) believability.
1: They just capitalize on, I guess... Somebody else's despair, which hey, is the female yeah. murders. And we
0: had the fucking fun part of this, didn't we? Yeah, yes, we, we did. <laughs>
2: Listen, Creep we, we took the part that was suited for us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Creep Real did fantastic. Oh, they did oh,
1: beautifully. Yeah. Um, I hope we did. We kind of got on their level, probably not. But uh, hey, we can never be too good, you know. No, what I mean? Yeah, absolutely not. But uh, I'll be curious uh, if anybody actually thought this place was haunted before this my personal opinion is they made shit up yeah yeah after
2: hearing the facts they definitely did yeah
0: (laughs) weren't we supposed to talk
1: about ryan reynolds and his uh uh pajama pants if you want i guess uh every i hope all the ladies know that yeah obviously he's a a stud or whatever he looks really good george lutz the real george lutz is like a chubby italian man so he doesn't look that sexy he's hot he's hot he's a
2: a good looking mm. man i want to grab him
1: (laughs) And if you guys didn't know, the movies went way beyond uh, what the book did. Of course. Every step of the way, it just keeps distorting and distorting and distorting and distorting. Yeah, you got to make
2: that money. Otherwise, the movie isn't worth it.
1: You know what's funny? I
0: forgot. Thank you, Jordan. That was Hollywood Minute with Jordan. That,
2: I don't know. I'm. That was worse than... That might be the worst way I could have said that. My brain was just stumbling around for words. You it was it. like, this works, this works.
1: <laughs> you know the final thing I forgot to mention? One of the Lutz's biggest articles before the book was released, guess what magazine it was in? Double XL. Mad. Uh, good Housekeeping. Ah... Mad. I didn't take them for a paranormal magazine, but yeah. whatever. Well,
0: that's the thing.
2: They <laughs> they ruined
0: the living room.
2: Yeah. No, the the stairs in the... So, or no, the walls in the sewing room. That's yeah. that's where Quet Yolcum was coming <laughs> off. Right, right, right. I forgot to mention... The, li- the living room was fine because the marching band rolled up the mug, mm-hmm. made sure not to damage any furniture. Mm-hmm.
1: I forgot to mention, too, George and Kathy blamed the paranormal events on, uh, was it Transincidental Meditation... They were practicing, I Tran- guess it was... Transcendental Yeah, meditation. transcendental. Yeah. I don't really know what it is, but they think they invoked demons. transcend, man. They think it invoked yeah. demons in them or
0: whatever. Sure. They opened up their mind's eye to the other dimensions, me mm, To the evil
2: world.
0: They went to the spirit plane and <laughs> fought the demon holes, bro.
1: Well, George got that karate and fucked them up. Ooh, I oh, forgot yeah. about the Rode karate. his motorcycle into hell and fought all the demons. The biker gang karate <laughs> master marine. <laughs> all right final thoughts what do you think final thoughts bullshit but a lot of fun a lot of fun
2: jordan and no vicious murder I'm, either no i'm in the same boat as adam it's a complete crock of shit <laughs> but it might be one of the more entertaining crocks of shit
1: <laughs> i'm telling you guys i know the book's non-fiction or is fiction obviously <laughs> but it's a good it's a fun read it's yeah. quick read i'm and, on i'm about halfway through it yeah Yep. Anyway. I am
2: zero percent of the way through it. <laughs> you don't
1: read books, so we don't worry about you. <laughs> that's true.
0: Hey, didn't what, real quick before we close yep. this out. I swear we did a goddamn story with a Chevy Vega in it.
1: I don't know. It was a popular car in the seventies, eighties. I guess.
2: Burger Chef.
1: Yep. That was a lot ah, of that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I almost said the
2: Three X Murders.
0: That was right around that time, right? Wasn't yeah. it like Three X then Burger Chef or mm, something? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Right around there. That's great, Cody fantastic job thank you if you want to email us about how cool this crossover (laughs) was you can do so at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com what's that adam bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of us on twitter it's at bumblebuttpod and on facebook and instagram at bumblebuttpodcast jordan and i also have (laughs) personal instagrams mine is at bumbleadam jordan's is at j.j.fox Is that right, Jordan?
2: That is correct.
0: (laughs) And if you want to get in touch with Cody, just do the Bumblebutt podcast.
1: Right, right. Now it's time for the most important. (sighs) I'm sorry, Adam. We didn't get any reviews. I'm hoping maybe people will really like this episode and be like, you know what? These guys deserve a five-star.
0: Cody, you know when I start firing into my catchphrases, (laughs) if I'm interrupted and told to stop, I get incredibly angry (laughs) and horny.
1: Um, that doesn't sound like a good combo. <laughs>
0: Rage boner, bro. Hell yeah! All right, please review us, uh, creeper real fans. If you like us, subscribe and review us. Mm-hmm. And if you like us and didn't listen to part one, but somehow got to the end of this one, <laughs> uh, fucking go subscribe to Creeper
1: Real, dickheads. Right, yep. right. That's the whole point of the, the episodes. Oh, yeah. Got to listen to both of them. Su- subscribers. Well, I mean, and to be able to cover a wide story. To get the full story. Full story. You got to hear about the murders to hear about the hauntings.
0: So. Hey, the murders are brutal.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> brutal. Yeah.
0: All right, everybody. Uh, that's going to do it for me. My name has been Adam. Mm. That's going to do it for Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. That's going to do it for Jordan. Thank you, Jordan.
2: Thank you, Adam.
0: Everybody, I want you to have a nice weekend. Unless it's Tuesday. Mm.
2: Don't lick the wall, goo.
1: Green Mm jello.